Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about why newspaper journalists have odd spellings for so many words like lead and deck. But first, I have a quick correction. Last week, I mispronounced the name of a TV show from the 1960s. It is The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, not The Many Loves of Dobby Gillis. Can you tell I'm from the Harry Potter generation? (laughs) Newspaper journalists have no time to waste. They have to get quotes from motor-mouthed politicians and deal with looming deadlines. They have to get the story quickly and correctly. And that has been the industry mantra for more than a century, long before the internet turned the daily news cycle into a 24-7 centrifuge of information. Since journalists are working in such a fast-paced environment, it makes sense that over the decades, they've incorporated shortcuts into their lexicon. They've also adopted odd spellings, and although those quirks may befuddle outsiders, they help keep things clear for people with different jobs at a newspaper. Each paper has its own nomenclature, but some terms are standard throughout the industry. For example, the first paragraph of a news story is the lead, but the people working the typesetting machines used metal letters made of lead. Same spelling, L-E-A-D, but a different pronunciation and, of course, a different meaning altogether. So, for clarity, the first paragraph of a news story is the lead, spelled L-E-D-E. It looks funny to outsiders, but that strange spelling originally used to head off ambiguities is common among ink-stained wretches, also known as journalists. There are, of course, different kinds of leads. A hard news lead will deliver information about something that just happened. Here's an example. Two dozen wildfires consumed 16,000 California acres Wednesday, driving thousands from their homes. An anecdotal lead would take a more focused approach, often adding a human element to the issue at hand. Here's an example of that. Olga Kincaid raced out of her Mariposa home with her four-year-old daughter on her right hip and their beagle tucked under her left arm, heading for her minivan. In the rearview mirror, she watched the flaming structure collapse. Meanwhile, her husband Dennis was 20 miles east, battling a second blaze as a member of Ladder Company 15. The Kincaid's ranch was one of more than 1,500 California homes leveled by dozens of raging wildfires on Wednesday. This approach sets aside the abstract notion of wildfires and instead highlights the human drama of the people who are affected. That last paragraph was the nut graph, spelled G-R-A-F, short for nutshell paragraph, in which a reporter or columnist delivers the crux of the reporting. It's often placed a few paragraphs into the article, especially one that uses an anecdotal lead, such as the one you just heard. The Kincaid's Ranch was one of more than 1,500 California homes leveled by dozens of raging wildfires on Wednesday. That was the nut graph. These abbreviations are generally time savers, but in the past, eliminating keystrokes had a financial benefit, too. When a story or budget, that is a rundown of news items in the works, was transmitted by telegraph, keeping the character count down was important. Think about the character restriction on Twitter and then put a price tag on it. But now we'll get back to the terms themselves. 
A follow, that is a follow-up story spelled F-O-L-O, would have a second day lead on it like this. Olga Kincaid sifted the charred remains of her home, finding two treasures that had been spared, her parents' wedding photo and a novel autographed by Peter Hamill. A follow might also be a reacts, spelled R-E-A-X, meaning a reaction story, like this. State and national politicians blamed each other for lagging response time in extinguishing fires and a lack of foresight in heading off future blazes. And as an aside, journalists often use synonyms to avoid repeating words like fires. You'll also see infernos and even on occasion conflagrations. Finally, a lengthy perspective article or think piece, often called a talker and sometimes derided as a thumbsucker, looks at the broader issues surrounding a trend like this. For climate scientists, the abundant fires scorching West Coast states provide irrefutable evidence that dramatic shifts in temperature and humidity are creating an array of hazardous conditions worldwide. Writing the lead is crucial, of course, but providing context is important, too. That's where B matter comes in. This is secondary information that's been previously published, but provides context to the breaking news. For example, a reporter might be expected to file a report about a local planning board vote on a controversial commercial development. A savvy scribe will write the B matter before the meeting, gathering background information such as the project's size and location, as well as documenting public opposition to it. That could be 700 words the reporter doesn't have to turn out on a deadline. And that B matter might also be used in what's called a curtain raiser, an article previewing the big vote. With the B matter in place, the reporter simply writes the top, the lead detailing the result of the vote, along with a quote or two from the meeting. In any case, such a report is constructed in what journalists call the inverted pyramid structure, which prioritizes important information. First comes the most newsworthy information, then important details, then background for context. This format ensures that if the story is cut for space, the readers will still get the pertinent news. One thing reporters want to avoid, though, is burying the lead. That happens when a significant development isn't revealed until later in the story. Here's an example. If the mayor says in passing that she's glad the development was approved because the governor is a major investor in the project, and this was previously unknown, but the reporter neglects to mention that particular tidbit until the ninth paragraph, that's burying the lead. Handled properly, that exclusive story is what's known as a scoop. That's when a reporter or outlet breaks a story that hasn't run elsewhere. A scoop is a very big deal and might even get a front-page headline in the next day's edition. The editor might also suggest a sidebar, an adjacent piece of text related to the main story. In this case, the sidebar might be a rundown of the governor's known business investments. Or it could be a timeline, sometimes called a TikTok, of the project's evolution. In a broadsheet paper, the larger format used by the New York Times and the Washington Post, the top stories run above the fold, in the top half of the front page. On the other hand, at a tabloid such as the New York Daily News, the front page is reserved for headlines that tease to the major stories running inside. A tabloid's front page headline is called The Wood 
and the term harkens back to the days of typesetting machines. Inside story headlines were set in lead, as we discussed earlier, but the larger front page headlines were printed using wooden letters. Tabloid woods often feature puns or other striking wordplay. Head, spelled H-E-D, is short for headline. In part, this is used to distinguish it from a headshot, also sometimes called a mug, which is a candid or posed photo of a prominent figure cited in a news story. HTK means head to come, and TK, which means to come, refers to anything still in the works. For print newspapers, articles filed early in the day might be sent to the copy desk for editing before they get their placement on a page. Such an article might have a note reading Specs TK, S-P-E-X-T-K. Hey, we told you that journalists get goofy with abbreviations. Anyway, that means the specs for a main head, deck, that's D-E-K, the smaller headline running underneath the main headline, kicker, a label running over a headline, usually used to tie a package together, photo caption or cut line, and other elements are being worked out. The term cut line comes from the use of woodcuts in the printing of images in newspapers early days. The cut line would be a line of text explaining the content of the image. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll take a look at some other fun abbreviations and journalists' apparent love of the letter X. By now you've realized that journalists like using odd letters in abbreviations. They are supremely fond of the letter X, especially at the end of a word. We've discussed the reacts, reactions to an event or statement, which can be the focus of a follow, that is a second day story. And they also have pox, spelled P-O-X, short for police. Stacks, S-T-A-X, is an abbreviation for statistics, often incorporated into a graphic, G-R-A-F-I-K, a simple chart or something more elaborate. And the plural for graphic is, of course, graphics with a final X. Spokes, spelled S-P-O-X, is short for spokesperson or spokespersons. And C-X, or Corex, C-O-R-R-E-X, means a correction. This is used in wire transmissions to amend or clarify a report or on a daily news budget, the list of stories to be published on a given day, if the paper needs to run a correction on a previous article. That's different from CQ, which clarifies in the text that an oddity is, in fact, correct. It comes from the Latin cadi questio, which translates to the question falls. In other words, it's been answered. For example, if the subject of a story spells her name Mandy, double A, double Y, rather than the more conventional Mandy, the writer would, or should, add CQ in brackets to spare the editors the headache of double and triple checking. A newspaper story might come with art, and that's not a Renoir or a Picasso, but a photograph, photo, F-O-T-O, or pix, P-I-X, with that X again, or the aforementioned graphic. Absent such visual elements, an editor or page designer might opt for a pop-out, as it's known at some papers, which is a striking quote or a piece of text that's given special display. It's also called a pull quote. Other fun terms include beat, 
This refers to a reporter's area of specialization. It can relate to geography, such as covering particular towns, or subject matter, such as state or local politics, environmental issues, transportation, and so on. The banner or flag runs at or near the top of the paper's front page and is basically the paper's logo. The masthead, a name derived from nautical terminology and often used to describe the banner, usually runs on the editorial page and features names and titles of top-tier staffers—publisher, editor-in-chief, managing editor, and so on. The bulldog is the early edition of a newspaper, and the term is said to have numerous origins, so many that we can't verify any of them, but use your imagination. In any case, many newspapers publish the bulldog of their Sunday edition on Saturday night. News breaking later in the day will be added through replates. Those are new printing plates, which contain revised words and images, put onto the printing press for later editions. The lobster shift is the overnight shift at a newspaper. It purportedly derives not from tasty crustaceans, but from the word lob, a British pejorative for newbies. They were assigned to these ghastly hours to keep them out of the way when important work was being done, and with luck they might pick up enough knowledge to make themselves useful. If not, they were boiled and served with drawn butter. Not really. And finally, we'll close appropriately with a bit of the Western Union 92 code that signals the end of a telegraphic transmission, 30, which is written as hyphen 30 hyphen and is also used by North American journalists to identify the end of an article. That segment was written by Rob Rinalda, who spent more than a quarter century in newspaper newsrooms in the New York metro area in Chicago. He's the winner of the ACES 2019 Robinson Prize for Excellence in Editing, the founder and principal of Words Are Media, and author of the book, Why Editors Drink. Finally, I have a familect story from Maggie. Good morning. Uh, this is Maggie from Philadelphia, and I'm calling with a familect. When my son Ben, who is now 17, was a little boy, was like two or two and a half, uh, and we'd go to the park, he would call the slide the wee boom, because you slide down it, you go wee, and then you land at the bottom, boom. And to this day, when we're happen, you know, we don't go to the park as much as we used to, but if we bring his little cousins and go to the park, the slide is the wee boom. Thanks so much. Bye. That's adorable, Maggie. Thanks for the call. And also, thank you to Rob in Ontario, who just left a nice voicemail saying thank you. A few other people have done that, too, and I don't play them in the show because it seems too self-congratulatory, but this is also kind of the only way I can acknowledge them. So thank you. It always makes my day. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find all the Grammar Girl podcasts and articles at quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sams, and that's all. Thanks for listening. <laughs>